we're in a series titled Draw Near. The goal is to draw near to God. That's the most important thing in life. And praise God that he has made a way for us to draw near to him. And in the Old Testament days, pre-Christ, people drew near to God through the Jewish sacrificial. Now we draw near to God through faith in that ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. Now, you might be wondering, why then are we studying an outdated religious system? It went out of fashion a couple thousand years ago. Is this just sort of dry academic study? And the answer is no. As we come to a fuller understanding of the Jewish sacrificial system, which was a foreshadowing of what Christ would do on the cross, we will come to a a greater understanding and a greater appreciation of both our salvation, what Christ has accomplished for us, and our Savior. And of course, when we have a greater appreciation for our salvation and our Savior, there uh, results greater worship, which is a wonderful result, uh, definitely worth studying. We're in the third week. We, uh, J- Pastor James gave us an introduction, and last week we looked at the burn offering. Today we're going to look at the grain offering. So turning your Bibles, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 2. And this is where Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible, this is where uh, the grain offering is discussed. We will, next week, look at the fellowship offering And then the week after that, we'll look at the sin offering. And the week after that, we will look at the reparation offering. More to come. And I'm finding this stuff personally very rewarding to study. So Leviticus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord. So it's a type of offering. And it's largely uh, a free will. You decide if and when you want to do this. There are a few times in which uh, it is commanded to bring a grain offering, but for the most part, the grain offerings were brought because somebody wanted to um, sacrifice to the Lord. And we'll talk about why they might do that in a little bit. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It's a most holy part of the Lord's food offering. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, and it continues. So let me talk briefly about the mechanics of a grain offering, and then we're going to talk about uh, what's going on spiritually. What's its uh, religious significance, why might somebody uh, bring a grain offering, what's being accomplished in a, in a spiritual sense. So first, the mechanics. You could bring a grain offering either cooked or uncooked. 
If it's uncooked, and that's the portion we just read, and then the text continues to go on to talk about cooked. If it's uncooked, it was uh, somewhere around 10 cups of fine flour. And as opposed to a coarser flour, fine flour was uh, very expensive, and it was uh, hard to come by. It had to be very finely ground. It came from a particular part of the wheat. Uh, so about 10 cups, and you mixed in about a quarter gallon of olive oil and salt. Always, always, always salt. Uh, the, God is very clear a little later on in the passage that every grain offering, whether it's cooked or uncooked, must include salt. That's significant. So about 10 cups of flour, about a quarter gallon of olive oil and salt, and you mix it all up, and, and you bring it to the priest, which means you've come to the tabernacle courts, or you later you come to the temple courts, and you say to a priest, I have brought a grain offering for the Lord. And often you would accompany it although not always, but often it would be accompanied with frankincense. Frankincense was not edible, so it was contained, in, it had its own contain, container. So essentially you'd bring the, uh, the flour mixture, flour, salt, oil mixture, and the frankincense to the priest. The, then you would scoop out a handful called the memorial portion, and you would present that to the priest. He would take the memorial portion and all the frankincense, burn it on the altar, and the rest, the majority, went to the priests for their personal consumption. Although it was not allowed to be eaten outside the temple grounds or the tabernacle grounds, uh, which meant it wasn't to feed the family. It was only to feed the priests. They had to eat it on the grounds. You could also bring it cooked, and so you could bake it in an oven, fry it in a pan, literally, cook it on a griddle, uh, and it specifies how to do that. Sometimes the oil's in, sometimes the oil's on top, always containing salt. And a portion, if you brought something baked, a portion of that was broken off and burned as the memorial portion along with any frankincense. So that's the, me- that's the mechanics of the grain offering. But what's its spiritual significance? Why is somebody doing this? What would motivate someone to bring a grain offering? Here it is. You bring a grain offering if you want to reaffirm your covenant relationship with God. If you're trying to say to the Lord, I acknowledge you as my Lord, I am your servant, and I'm happy with this relationship, I am all in. Now, God had entered into a covenant relationship with the people of Israel, But individual Israelites would sometimes want to say, God, I am happy about this relationship. I'm all in. I am uh, reaffirming that you are my Lord personally, and I am your personal servant. Now, there are some indications in the text that this is the real purpose of the offering. And the first indication is just the word used here for offering, which is mincha which carries the connotation of tribute, as if you're bringing tribute to your Lord. This same word is used in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21, to describe the tribute the kingdoms ruled by Solomon brought Solomon on a regular basis. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21 
Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute, mincha, and served Solomon all the days of his life. So this kind of offering is essentially a tribute to your master, to your Lord, and it's an acknowledgement that I am in a, a relationship with you as Lord and I am your servant. And so an Israelite wanting to reaffirm that a relationship would bring a grain offering. Uh, in college, I studied medieval European history. Why? <laughs> Who knows? But in, one thing I learned is that in the, in the Middle Ages in Europe, feudalism was the dominant political uh, thing happening, which had lords and vassals. And a lord would claim ownership of a, a large tract of land, and then he would uh, divide that amongst his vassals, and he would give a vassal the right to administrate that portion of his land. But the vassal annually had to bring tribute to the lord. And the vassal would usually accompany that tribute, and when the tribute was brought, he would reaffirm his, the relationship that he had the feudal or the vassal relationship we had with the Lord. That's what's going on here. You bring a grain offering to say to the Lord, I am your servant, you benefit me greatly, and I am happy with this relationship, I am all in. Another indication that this is what's going on with the grain offering is found uh, in verse 13, the discussion of the salt. We read, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of, your, of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. All your offerings you shall, with all your offerings you shall offer salt. Three times. Make sure it has salt. Don't neglect the salt. Make sure the salt's in every offering. Super important to have salt. And then it gives it this uh, specific title, Salt of the Covenant with Your God. Salt's a preservative indicating the eternal nature of the covenant. God has entered into an eternal nature, an eternal covenant with you, and when you bring your grain offering, you are affirming, reaffirming your uh, uh, happiness with that, with that covenant relationship with God. So, does this have any application for us today? I would say absolutely. Fundamental to our understanding as Christians is that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Uh, the apostles often referred to them as slaves of Jesus Christ, right? Bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the master, we are his servants. Paul in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you may present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What he's saying is, in light of, okay, he's just been talking uh, for the first 11 chapters, he's been talking about all that God has done for us. And uh, so in light of everything that the Lord of heaven does for you, Look how much we're getting out of the relationship, our reasonable service. It, it only makes sense that we would turn around and say, here I am. I am your servant. Do with me whatever you want. Right? There's that 
covenant relationship. God blesses us so tremendously, including offering us eternal life in his own spirit and his word to guide us, and on and on it goes, that what is the reasonable response? I am yours. Elsewhere in scripture, we're told he bought you with a price. You belong to him. And so I think that as Christians, it, it is... It is fundamental to our self-understanding that I'm a servant of God. God may call the shots in my life, even to the point of saying, I want you to lay down your life for my purposes. And we're willing to do that because what? He gives us eternal life. Now, there are many modern-day ways that we say, God, I'm all in. There are many modern, uh, many ways that we reaffirm our covenant relationship with God, and we'll talk about those at the end. But I want to identify some other important truths that are highlighted or underscored by the grain offering. And the, uh, the first is this. So just to clarify, the primary purpose of the grain offering is for uh, an Israelite to reaffirm Uh, his happiness with the covenant relationship he has with God. But there are some other important truths that are being underscored as well. And the first is this, um, God deserves my best. God deserves my best. Look again at verse 1. We see that with this clarification that it needs to be fine flour. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. In Hebrew, it's selet, as opposed to a coarser type of flour that was most common. The grain offering has to be of the finest quality flour. Ezekiel, the prophet in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 13, uh, says that he lists solet, fine flour, along with gold and silver ornaments and silken linen clothing as indications that you are wealthy. It's, it's the best. And that's an important principle for us. We want to offer God our best. Not our hand-me-downs, not our, our, our seconds, not our sloppy work. Not the leftovers of our, you know, when we're tired, if we have a little bit leftover energy, then we'll give it to the Lord. We want to offer our best. And it's a way of saying, God, you are most important. I value you. And I'm going to reflect that in, boom. Uh, Second truth being underscored here in the grain offering is that we owe everything to God. And we find that, Uh, indicated here in the idea of the memorial portion, verse 2. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion, right? He shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with its frankincense, burn it as a memorial portion. An Israelite, and we as Christians, understand that everything we have belongs to God. God claims it all. It's all his But he, in his graciousness, entrusts to us stewardship over a portion. And for some of us, that portion might be larger than others, right? But God has said, here you go. Here's the portion of my creation that I've entrusted to you to steward. And fundamental, our understanding is we're stewards of God's resources. 
So sometimes, usually when it's like I get in a car wreck or something, or I get MRSA in my elbow and I'm having to spend my money and my time in a way that doesn't make sense to me, I'll sometimes say, God, are you really wanting to spend your servant's time and your servants re- and your resources this way? This doesn't make sense. And usually he says, yes, other people need your money. We, God owns everything. Everything I have comes from him. James chapter 1, right? All good and perfect gifts come from above, from the Father of lights. And so it's important that we say, God, everything that I have that is good comes from you. Everything that I have that is good comes from you. It, even what appears to generate from me and from my efforts and from my wisdom, of course, where do I get my energy? Where do I get my wisdom? Where do I get my background? It all comes from you. And so in light of that, Lord, everything is from you, and so I hold it loosely, and it's for you to use as you want. When an Israelite brought a grain offering, they were acknowledging, God, I'm giving you back a portion of what you have entrusted to me. You're the Lord. It all belongs to you. Thank you for entrusting some of it to me. And so it's a memorial. It's a, an act of remembrance. It's a way of declaring, I know who this really belongs to. Third truth underscored by the grain offering is that we have a duty to provide for God's ministers. Verse 3, but the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It's a most holy part of the Lord's food offering. Um, many of the sacrifices were God's way of providing for the priests and their families. They could take it home, and that's how their families were provided for. Now, what happens if God's people grow cold in their affections to the Lord and they're not bringing these free will offerings? Well, then the, the priests uh, might not have enough and they'll have to go out and make a living rather than being able to spend their time and energy facilitating the worship of God. And that's exactly what happened in the days of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah writes about that. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 10, he writes, I also found out that the portions of the Levites, that's the tribe from which the priests come, that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers, those who sang songs in the temple to praise the Lord, led the people in in worship, who did the work had fled each to his field. Why? So the people aren't bringing uh, the sacrifices, and so the ministers, those who should be leading the people in the worship, are off trying to make their own living. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And all of a sudden, uh, the priests could leave their fields and get back to the duty, uh, get back to the business of uh, leading the people in worship. Now, the Apostle Paul draws a direct relationship uh, from, from that to the church paying for those who proclaim the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13 
Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded. So he's saying Jesus commanded this. The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, I have nothing but admiration and praise for Clearwater Church. From the day we started seven plus years ago, uh, this church has been so generous that I have always had uh, been able to be full-time employed in the work of the ministry. Pastor James, full-time. Multiple other part-time staffers uh, so that we can be proclaiming the gospel and crafting worship services and facilitating uh, outreach ministry into the, into the community. And so, well done, Clearwater Church. Fourth truth being underscored by this grain offering is that God's servants must avoid sin. In verse 11, we are told that there should be no leaven or honey in any grain offering, unless it's a first fruits offering. Verse 11. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. Now, most commentators believe that the reason leaven and honey are, are not allowed is because they are fermenting agents. And uh, fermentation in the Old Testament is metaphorically related to corruption, and the principle of sin at work. And so God doesn't want any sacrifice burned on the altar that is corrupted by sin, and he doesn't want in the life of his servants who are dedicating themselves to his service, he does not want sin in their lives. And this is very true of us today. We are, to, uh, we are servants of the Lord, and we are to be holy as he is holy. And obviously, we struggle with this, but it's important that we struggle with it and that we seek increasing holiness and purity in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we read, For to this you have been called. That's for me and that's for you. Here's God's calling for you, Christian. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. Be like Jesus. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. So let's commit ourselves to a life of purity. And when we sin, and we're going to get into these next couple weeks. Uh, next week is going to be awesome as Pastor James talks about um, the fact that we, even though our, our sins have been atoned for by the death of Jesus Christ, the fact is we continue to sin. And that sin uh, taints us spiritually. But God has a way for cleansing and purification that we need to be taking advantage of on a regular basis. It's going to be powerful. Final truth that uh, is being underscored here in the grain offering is that we can trust God to take care of us. Now, this is especially 
uh, underscored in the idea of first fruits, which is found in verse 14. It's a particular kind of grain offering, or rather you bring a grain offering at the same time you're bringing a first fruits offering. If, so this is not the normal. The normal is it's all a grain offering by itself, but when you bring it as a complement to a first fruit offering, here's what you do. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears, dot, dot, dot. What are, what are first fruits? Here's what a first fruit is. Now, this was a command. This was not optional. God told the Israelites, the first fruits that come ripe each season, the first harvest. Remember, harvests often come in waves throughout the, throughout the year. The very first harvest, when you, when you collect it, you must set aside a portion, a, a memorial portion for, for me. In fact, God is very specific and says, you may not touch the rest of the harvest for your own personal use until you bring me that memorial portion, that tithe. Now, this took faith because what happens if there's a big frost right after the first harvest and you don't get your second harvest and your third harvest? Well, wait a second. I only get the first fruits and I've just taken a chunk you know, out of that and handed it over to the Lord. <gasps> so you had to trust that in your obedience, God would take care of you and make up the difference and provide for your needs. Now, as a young man, I made a determination. I was not going to give less than 10% of what I made to the Lord. And I, I, set, I made that percentage determination in my heart. And then I went about giving the Lord 10% of what came in before I had paid my taxes and before I had paid my bills. And I loved doing that. It was um, more exciting when I was younger and didn't have as much money coming in. <laughs> uh, but I loved writing those checks because it was an act of faith and dedication. And I was saying, God, this belongs to you anyways. And everything that I have comes from you. You're the one who takes care of me. And even though this kind of feels risky, it's not risky because I am safe in your care and I'm giving it as an act of faith. And I love doing that. It was good for my soul. He has always, always, always taken care of me, made up the difference. I have never been without. And I would encourage you to do the, do the similar. Set yourself a, a percentage whatever you think that should be between you and the Lord, and then give it to the Lord uh, before the second harvest comes in, right? At the, at the first fruits. And Malachi, based on what the prophet Malachi says, he's like, hey, bring me the, bring me the tithes and, and, and see if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven to bless you and take care of you. We can trust God to take care of us. So the, what we've seen is that the primary purpose of the grain offering is a reaffirmation of the covenant relationship that I'm in with God. Of course, that's applicable to us as Christians. I'm in a covenant relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And we want to reaffirm that on a regular basis. God, I'm all in. I'm excited about this relationship. I still absolutely believe it is in my best interest. What you offer me is so, so awesome. It is my reasonable service to give back my whole life to you. And we've also seen that God deserves my best. We owe everything to God. We have a duty to provide for his ministers. We are to avoid sin, and we can trust him to take care of us. See how you, you know, read Leviticus chapter 2, and we passed it, and we think, well, what the heck is that about? It's meaningful, isn't it? It's very meaningful. There's lots of application. I want to end with a, a few modern-day ways that we can present a grain offering, modern-day ways that we can declare to God, reaffirm our, our covenant relationship with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 to 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. One way to reaffirm the covenant relationship with God is to say no to temptation, to struggle against sin. And as you wrestle against sin and you say, no, I, I'm not going to do that because I will not dishonor God. God owns me, and I want to give myself to him as a, as a pure vessel. And in that struggle, it's a sacrifice that pleases the Lord. He sees that struggle. He sees that your heart is to be a faithful servant. And I think that goes up as a pleasing fragrance to the Lord. He is proud of you, even when you're not 100% successful. And you, some, and you have to come back and say, God, forgive me. I failed again. Cleanse me by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. So wrestling against temptation is a way to reaffirm your dedication to the Lord. Here's another one, Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. I'm well supplied, Paul says, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So here's Christian people who have given to fund the missionary work of Paul, and he says, hey, that is a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through him then, Jesus Christ, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of, and he lists four things, of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Uh, so uh, praising the Lord is a sacrifice that pleases him. Do not neglect to do good. Doing good is a sacrifice. And to share what you have, sharing. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I also think acknowledging his name uh, has, to, uh, has to do with witnessing and letting people know, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, that can be intimidating and a struggle for us in some of our friendship circles, in our uh, workplaces. But when we, when we do that, when we go public with our faith in the Lord, uh, it's like a grain offering going up. God knows what you're doing. You're going public in order to bring him 
glory and praise and hopefully influence someone else to become a Christian. So when you take those kind of public stands for Christ and risks, it's like a grain offering going up and it's a fragrant aroma. He's pleased with you. He notices you. Well, would you stand with me? And uh, this is an, an offer. You don't have to do this. But I think it would be very appropriate for us to pray a prayer of dedication to the Lord. So if you want to, pray this, and you can pray it out loud with me. I'm going to make a statement, and then you can re- repeat it. So uh, starts like this. Dear God, please help me dedicate myself completely to you. Say that with me. Dear God, please help me dedicate myself completely to you. Help me serve you faithfully. Help me serve you faithfully. I want to satisfy you with all that I am. God, I want to satisfy you with all that I am. Let me be counted worthy of your blessings for me in Jesus Christ. Say that with me. Let me be counted worthy of your blessings for me in Jesus Christ. God, we are your servants. We're your servants. It's our reasonable service in light of your great mercies to us in Jesus Christ. We get out of this relationship so much more than you do. And we love you. And we reaffirm that covenant relationship that we're in with you through our faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for making it possible to be in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.